We're going to continue with uh, the readings from Holy Scripture. Our first reading today is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, beginning at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is the word of the Lord. I do invite you to please rise again as we continue with the reading from the Gospel. Our Gospel today is taken from St. Luke, the second chapter, beginning at the 41st verse. Now his, that is Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Uh, as we've been doing throughout this series, we do have memory work, kind of like confirmation. We have memory verses for you. And so hopefully you've been uh, meditating on this verse from Colossians 2 uh, throughout this Rooted and Growing campaign. And so uh, we're going to read it before all the sermons. And so let's do this uh, together at this time. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard a little bit ago in 1 Corinthians. Uh, let's go ahead and begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, what a joy to be a part of Community Lutheran Church and to, to be the recipients of all these incredible gifts uh, that you have given uh, to us in these, in these uh, congregations. We pray today, Lord, uh, that as we hear your word, you would remind us of how you are working in us and through us and all the callings you have given to us in our lives. And Lord, we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. It is fun to be with you here as we are in the midst of this sort of stewardship capital campaign that we are calling Rooted and Growing at Community Lutheran Church. It is fun uh, to think about. I, I, this whole time we've been doing this stewardship campaign, it's just been one joyful thing after another for me. I love these temple talks, getting to hear Scott talk about the history of our church, both in Escondido and here in San Marcos is a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed this as well, learning more about who we are as a community Lutheran church, uh, the, the history that we are rooted in. But also it's really crucial for us at this time to talk about how we are growing at Community Lutheran Church, growing uh, in terms of our spiritual growth, individually how God grows us in these congregations and what that growth looks like for us as members of CLC. And so that's really been our focus, rooted in the word and work of God and seeing how being planted in that word brings forth growth in our lives and in our congregations. And, and I think this stewardship campaign has really given us a, a great opportunity to take a step back and really evaluate those things. To really think about who are we as Community Lutheran Church? What does it mean to be rooted in the Word and work of God? What kind of growth does this bring about? You know, if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, I'm going to bring you up to speed. We've really been focusing the past three weeks on what it means to be rooted in the Word and work of God. We said that we are rooted in the work of God in creation. He is our creator and we are his creatures. And to be created by God means that you are the recipient of all of God good, God's good gifts. All good gifts come from the Father of heavenly lights, we read in the book of James. And so to, to be a creature of God is to be the recipient of the God who gives. But we also know, of course, that we are sinners and we have rebelled against God and we have ruined these gifts that he has given to us. But that hasn't stopped God from showing us his love. And so he sent Jesus Christ to redeem us. We talked a lot about how we have been rooted in the work of Christ in redemption. Christ has rescued us from the domain of sin, the dominion of darkness, and brought us into his kingdom where we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You and I are now citizens of the kingdom of God. And now, as members of this kingdom, God is at work in us and through us and on us by the work of his Holy Spirit given to us in the word and the sacraments. And this is what we call the work of sanctification. The Holy Spirit has chosen you and set you apart for holy work in this world. So this is who we are as members of God's kingdom, as members of Community Lutheran Church. People rooted in the creative work of God, the, the redeeming work of God, and the sanctifying work of God. But now today we want to transition. And we want to talk about what that sort of work that God does produces in us. What sort of people does that make us to be? If we are rooted in this kind of uh, gospel soil, what sort of fruit is going to come forth? What sort of plants are going to grow? What sort of growth do we see taking place here? And what I think is interesting is as we start this topic off this week, and we're going to visit it over the next number of weeks, what I think is interesting is the place in which God does this work 
through us, where God has placed us in the world to accomplish His work in us. Because so often when we think about what it means to be Christian, we think that we need to be sort of separated from the world and taken out of the world. And if you really want to be holy, you need to be removed from the world so you can focus more and more on God and just be totally dialed into God and, and removed from all the distractions around you. But in fact, this is the opposite of the truth. God has decided to cause growth to come about in our lives in what we call our vocations. Now, I know you're already excited because you've got a lot of big theological words in this series, redemption, sanctification. You're like, hopefully we get more. Well, you are in luck because today we're talking about the doctrine of vocation. Now, what is the doctrine of vocation? It sounds a lot like another word, vacation, right? And what do you do on vacation? You get to stop working. You go someplace fun, you relax, you have a good time. You're not doing a ton of work unless, of course, you have kids and then vacation is another job. Uh, but vacation is sort of ceasing from regular work. That's sort of the opposite of what we think about when we think of vocation. Vocation, if we talk about it at all in our society, we think of it in terms of a job, right? You go to a vocational school. Why? So you can learn a trade and do a particular job uh, in, in the world. And that's kind of what vocation is. But vocation is actually a word that means calling calling. And we believe that as Christians, God has given us callings. Now certainly there's your calling into the faith. You have been saved by God's grace. He has called you into the faith. But that's not exactly what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the variety of callings, vocations, that God has given us in our lives. A good definition, I think, of vocation is this. Uh, the responsibilities God has given you in the relationships that you have. The responsibilities God has given you in the relationships that you have. The relationships you find yourselves in. These are your vocations. These are the places God has given you work to do. So that when you're saved, He doesn't remove you from the world and pull you up into some sort of heavenly, holy existence. But He actually uses you in the world to bring salt and light into a world that is dying and full of darkness. So this is why St. Paul says this today uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians when he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So you and I have callings. The Lord has placed us in particular relationships with particular responsibilities. It does not remove us. Our faith does not remove us from the world. And this is a really important point that I want to kind of dial in on for just a second. And to help illustrate this point, I want to do something that's even more fun than defining uh, theological terms. I want to talk about the history of the church. Yes. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the 16th century Reformation and the doctrine of vocation, which is really what I wanted the sermon title to be, but then no one would show up. But that's okay. Because what you actually see, this is actually, I think, fascinating, and it will, will help us understand this. Uh, because in the 16th century, during the time of the Reformation, and we'll talk more about Reformation next week on Reformation Sunday, but during the time of the Reformation, uh, what we find is that they got back to the Scriptures and recognized that within the church, there were a lot of problems with the way things were being practiced. And this included in the way they talked about vocation. In the church in the 16th century, vocation was a re uh, referred only to people who had the calling into church work. 
Only people of the vocation in the ancient world were those who were considered to be, uh, who were monks or nuns or priests or something like this. They had a holy calling. The term was vocation. No one else had vocations. They all had jobs. All right. So you had here two classes of Christians. You had sort of the, uh, the regular old Christians over here just doing the nine to five. And then you had those who took what we call holy orders. They had a vocation from God, and this was great. And they were holier than everyone else. Why? Because they had abandoned the world for Jesus. They had given their lives directly to the Lord, and they were doing everything for God's sake. So they had left behind all the shackles of these earthly things and joined a monastery, joined a convent, given their lives to God. Which sounds pretty holy. Sounds pretty impressive. And so you start to think about what does it mean to leave the world behind? Well, it meant that you left house and home. You denied your responsibilities to your mothers and fathers. Husbands left wives. Wives left husbands. Children were left without parents. Why? Because you were going to work for God, and that's way more important. What's more, uh, there was like added bonus to this. If you become a monk, if you join a holy order, uh, this, was like Charlie's, uh, this was like the golden ticket into Charlie's Chocolate Factory. It was like a second baptism. You do this, you're in heaven. Oh, think about that. Whiny kids are going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Right. I'm going to join uh, uh, the holy orders. And so this is, what the thing, this is how they were teaching it in the ancient world, and, and, and in the 16th century. And what the reformers did is when they went back to the scriptures, they realized that this entire mentality was not only wrong, it was against the will of God. That actually joining a monastery in this way was not a vocation, it was an anti-vocation. Because it took you out of the world where God had placed you. So think about this. So God comes along and he's like, or the Holy Spirit comes along and says, stay in the calling that you have received. And these guys were like, nah. We're going to do something way more impressive, God. We're going to give our lives to you. And notice how it completely misunderstands the faith altogether. First, it denies the work of Jesus. Because it says, there's something I must do to earn my salvation. There's a work I must perform to get into heaven. So now what you're doing is you're denying faith in Jesus. You're saying, Jesus isn't sufficient. I have to do something to earn my place before God. Further, it not only works against faith, as we've already mentioned, it works against love. Because you're saying, instead of serving the people God has given to me in my vocation, I'm abandoning them for my own particular salvation. It's faithless and it's loveless. So you see, it removes you from the very place where God has put you. So you can kind of imagine these monks going to God and being like, Lord, look at all of these good works I have done for you. Look at all that I have performed for you. Look at all that I left behind. And you can kind of imagine God, if you're allowed to do such things, uh, not being all that impressed. Seeing their works and saying, well, you know, thanks, I suppose. But I don't really need any of your good works. I've got plenty of them. I don't need your holiness. I've got enough holiness myself. Thank you very much. I'm doing fine with all of these things. I don't need yours. But you know who does need your good works? Your spouse. Your co-workers. Your fellow congregation members. Your kids. Your parents. Your neighbors. Your teachers. Your students. The people that God has placed around you. Those are the people who need your good works. And you can hear God saying, look, I've placed you in their lives so that you will love them. I know, I know, you want to earn your way into heaven. But listen, how about we do this? I'll take care of heaven, says God. You worry about earth. 
I'll take care of getting you into the kingdom of God by sending my son, and he's going to die for you. Here's the vocation of Jesus to be the savior of the world. Here's the vocation of Jesus to be your savior. And do you think he carried out his vocation pretty well? Of course he did. He died on the cross for you. He paid for all of your sins. He conquered the grave for you. Your salvation is secure and promised in the Lord Jesus Christ. And promised in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done all of this for you. How do you know it's for you? You're baptized. That was his vocation, to be your Savior. And he's accomplished it perfectly. So now, you don't have to work to earn God's favor. You have been relieved of that burden. God says, I freed you from the work you have to do to be righteous before me. I declare you righteous. But now I've bound you in love to your neighbor. Now I'm giving you uh, to the people around you so that you can love them and serve them. And so this is where we come up with this idea, where we come up, where we receive this idea, this gift of vocation. God is saying, I'm putting you in these relationships with particular responsibilities so that you can finally love your neighbor as yourself. And this is where being rooted in the word and work of God is very important for us to understand how God is at work in our vocations. If we think about it, if we're talking about our vocations in light of uh, the God's work in creation, what this means is that we don't need to leave the world to serve God. God actually has us in the world because the world is good. He created this place. He loves this place. He created you. He loves you, and he wants you to work for the good of the creation around you. Rooted in the idea and the promise of redemption, we know that this work doesn't save us, and we're free from that burden. So we're free simply to love as God has called us to love. And now we think of it in light of the doctrine of sanctification. It is through these vocations, through these callings, that God is actually conforming us to the image of Christ, teaching us to pray, teaching us to trust him more. Because I don't know if you've noticed this about your own life, but I know for me that when I enter in my vocations, I'm like, this, I am way in over my head. This is too much for me to handle. And it drives me further and further to prayer. And so you see that God is at work in this way Think, just think about it in light of, say, like uh, Genesis, when God is creating the world. So let's talk about vocation in light of creation. Genesis, when God is creating the world, he creates Adam and he creates Eve. And then what does he tell them to do? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So he gives a, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife to each other and tells them uh, to start families. So the family is created and it's good. And then he gives them responsibilities. Multiply, fill the earth, uh, earth, subdue it. Take care of the creation. Tend to the corner of creation where God has placed you. So he commissions work. And so you have family and work, and God looks at these things, and he says, these things are good because I made them to be good. So the, the application of this for you is this, that your nine to five is good because God made it. And he made you for the sake of tearing, uh, taking part of your corner of creation. The father who, who works for his family to provide for his family, to protect his family, is doing a good work. A, a mother, let's say like a, like a single mom who is a full-time employee and also a full-time taxi driver to get her kids around to every uh, possible thing they could possibly sign up for and feels like she's losing her mind, is actually doing a pleasing work to God. Because that's where God has called her to be. The employee who shows up to work on time and, and leaves on time doing good work. The police officer who gave you the ticket, you sinners, driving here this morning, uh, is doing a good work. Politicians ah, who actually pass bills 
that benefit the society are doing a good work. The farmer who grows the crops, the clergy member who faithfully preaches the word of God, these are all good in the eyes of God because he created this world and he created these jobs so that we could care for one another and love one another through these vocations. These are the relationships and responsibilities we have. And I think we can think about uh, where our relationships and responsibilities are carried out in sort of like three categories or three arenas. Here's where God has placed you to serve and to love. The first place we just kind of addressed, uh, the household. The household would include your family and your place of work. These are the people who are immediately next to you. If you're looking for a neighbor to love, they're right there. All right, so the household is the first one. Second one is, in a sense, the government, the society around us. And we all have a responsibility to make sure that we're taking care of one another, even through governmental means. This is why we say it's important uh, for Christians to vote. I can't tell you how to vote, but the way we vote when we do vote is that we are doing something to make sure that we have uh, politicians in place and laws that are passed that are good for the people around us. And then thirdly, we have this vocation of being part of a church. This is the third arena where we're called to serve. And here, we're going to talk more about the church over the next couple of weeks. We're just kind of setting the groundwork uh, right here. But in the church, you are called to be a part of the body of Christ. You are a member of this body, and your responsibility here matters. Your presence in church matters. We need you here so you can help love us. And you need to be here. So is the church can help love you. And in all of these arenas, Christ has placed us so that we can care for the people in, uh, that he brings into our lives. All right. Now I know that there might be a good Lutheran out there today and who hears me talking about all this good work stuff. And if you want to make a, a Lutheran nervous, start talking about good works. Good gracious. We don't believe in them, I don't think. That's a joke we do. Uh, uh, but you got a Lutheran out there who's like, now wait a minute, you're talking a lot of positive about good works here, but here's the thing, doesn't the Bible say even our good works are sin? Like the best of work, like the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says our good works are nothing more than a pile of filthy rags. So how, preacher, can you say that work is good? Now this is a good question, actually. I'm glad I came up with it. It's one that we need uh, to think through a little bit here. The prophet Isaiah does, in fact, say that your good works are a pile of filthy rags. But what he means there is, if you're going to try and remove him uh, from his vocation, if you're going to try and remove God from his vocation as Savior, and try and become your own Savior, by doing a bunch of good stuff to present to God to say, see, I earned my spot, I did everything necessary, I'm good enough to enter into your kingdom. If that's how you want to deal with God, God's going to look at your good works and say, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's a pile of filthy rags. It wasn't your job to do that in the first place. The only one who can save you is Jesus Christ. So in comparison uh, here with Jesus' works for us, yes, our works are a pile of filthy rags because we can't trust them to save us. That's not their job. However, we can say that the works we do as Christians are good works. Why? Because it's not so much us doing them as it is God doing them in us and through us. These are actually God's works through our hands. They're the things he's given us to do, and he's called them good. They're not good because they earn us a place before God. They're good because God gives them to us to do for the good of our neighbor. His love and your salvation are never the result of your work for him. That's always a gift by his grace. And this is why Paul, I think, today in 1 Corinthians is quick to emphasize that you must remember who you are. And Rachel, your children's message was, was tremendous today. You were bought with a price. 
You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means that as you live your life and as you carry out your vocations, God the Father is smiling upon you. He is pleased with you all on account of what Jesus Christ has done. God sees the work you do as good work. Not because you're just so impressive, but because He loves you and has purchased you with the blood of Christ. He is at work now through you in your vocation as an instrument. Think about this. God could have decided uh, to raise your kids without you. God could put daily bread on your table without having anybody put it in the grocery store or deliver it to you. God could uh, fix your plumbing without a plumber. God could uh, run society without the government, and sometimes we wish he would. Uh, God could do all of these things without us, but instead, he's decided to do it through us, to work in us and through us. He puts you on like a mask and goes around serving your neighbors through your hands. He's the one who puts food on your table uh, through your vocation. Your labor to provide daily bread is where God is at work through you, through the preacher's voice to deliver the forgiveness of sins. That's all us doing work, but it's really God performing it through us. All of it by his grace. So here is what you need to know today. God is at work through you for the good of your neighbor. And as we're going to see over the next number of weeks, that neighbor also is a part of the church. And we do have a calling and a responsibility, a vocation here as a church member to make sure the people in our congregation are cared for and loved. This includes by giving financially uh, to make sure we have these buildings now paid for and, and, and for generations to come. But that's more of what we're going to get into here over the next number of weeks. So suffice it to say for today, here's what you need to know. You were bought with a price. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are God's beloved creation. You are forgiven and redeemed. So that the work you do in your vocation is in fact holy and pleasing to God. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that through your dear Son you have called us your beloved creatures and that you use our work for the good of your creation. Keep us faithful, O Lord, in our callings. Teach us to trust in you at all times and let your will be done for us here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to please rise as we sing our next song together.